Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibiverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic. They make me feel polished and modern. And the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin. And so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z Zibby 20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white open long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Corny America. Check it out. Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Com and definitely check out those shows as well. 
Also, just a quick note that submissions for the Zibby Awards are open and will close on September 15th. Go to zibbyowens.com and you will find the Zibby Awards open submissions where we celebrate all the under-celebrated parts of a book, like the best spine, the best author's note, the best table of contents. And authors can nominate their own best publicists, best editors, and so on. There will be an in-person award ceremony in October in New York. You will not want to miss it. Go to zibbyowens.com. Lauren Billings is part of Christina Lauren, the pen name. There are two of them, Christina and Lauren. And I interviewed Lauren, whose real name is Lauren Billings. Did everybody understand that? So (laughs) Christina Lauren is the combined pen name of longtime writing partners and best friends, Christina Hobbs and Lauren Billings. As a number one international best-selling co-author duo, they write both young adult and adult fiction. Together, they've produced 18 New York Times best-selling novels. They're published in over 30 languages, have received multiple star reviews, won both the Seal of Excellence and Book of the Year from RT Magazine. They've been inducted into the Library Reads Hall of Fame, named Amazon and Audible Romance of the Year. They were a Lambda Literary Award finalist and were nominated for several Good Choice Awards categories. They've been featured in publications such as Forbes, The Atlantic, The Washington Post, Time, Entertainment Weekly, People, O Magazine, and more. Their third YA novel, Autobiography, was released in 2017 to critical acclaim, followed by Rumi's Love and Other Words. Hi, everybody. My name is Zibby Owens, and I am so excited to be at the Gloss Book Club today for this bookcation, which is an amazing term that I will steal, well, not steal, use, I will use freely now because I love it, and I'm delighted to be here uh, with Lauren Billings. So on the screen, you can see our bios, but just as as top highlights, so you know who I am, I host a daily literary podcast called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books, so if you are interested in hearing from an author 365 days a year, tune into my podcast. And I also am an author myself, and I have a book called Bookends coming out in two weeks, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, and a children's book, Princess Charming. And I also started a publishing company called Zibby Books, and we have a content site we're launching called Moms Don't Have Time To. Anyway, that's all you need to know about me. Basically, I love interviewing authors, and that is what I love to do more than anything else aside, I guess, from reading, which is also my great love. Lauren is half of the New York Times bestselling duo, Christina Lauren. That is a pen name, if anybody didn't know, and sadly, Christina cannot be here today, but Lauren is representing for both of them. And they are the New York Times, USA Today, and number one internationally bestselling authors of the Beautiful and Wild series, Dating You, Hating You, Autobiography, Love and Other Words, Roomies, Josh and Hazel's Guide to Not Dating, My Favorite Half Night Stand, The Unhoneymooners, Twice in a Blue Moon, and The Soulmate Equation. Lauren also goes by Lowe. She has a PhD in neuroscience. <laughs> and before she made writing her full-time job, she spent her days doing nerdy research type things. This is her judgment, not mine. Like lab code and goggles. She is a silly mommy to two littles, wife to one mountain biking, homebrewing scientist, and an unabashed lover of YA and romance. They've also written, I feel like they didn't have some of the books on the website in your bio. But anyway, there are other books, including Something Wilder and The Soulmate Equation are the two most recent books. And that is where we'll start. Welcome. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. This is so fun. So first of all, where are you Zooming from today? Where in the world are you? 
Okay, so I live in California. I live in Southern California specifically. Christina lives in Salt Lake, just outside of Salt Lake City, Utah. So she is there recuperating from surgery and she sends her regrets. She really wishes she could be here today. All right, well, I, I live in New York, but I am currently in Nashville, Tennessee. If you hear loud groups of bachelorettes screaming, which is basically all over the city. That's what's going on. So, you know, this is not my Amazing. The lovely hotel called the Thompson, which I highly recommend. Anyway, let's talk books. So your latest book, Something Wilder, let's start with that. Okay. What is that book about and what inspired you to write it? Okay. So Something Wilder is, it's sort of like our homage to Romancing the Stone. I it's, loved, by the way, oh, Kathleen Turner, Michael Douglas fan. I've yes. watched the movie about a hundred times. But it's so it's fun. Happy. It's seriously so fun. And, you know, Christina and I grew up on movies like Indiana Jones and The Goonies and National Treasure and obviously Romancing the Stone. And we really wanted to write a romance novel that kind of embraced some of that action adventure. And so Something Wilder is a story of Leo Grady, he's our hero, and Lily Wilder. That is the nod to Joan Wilder from Mancing the Stone. And they're former lovers. They've been split apart from circumstances that you'll learn in the book. And they're kind of thrown back together when Leo's group of guy friends books an expedition with Lily's adventure company. And she, she hates what she does, but you know, that'll make sense in the book. And she sort of has to rely on her father's maps that take tourists out on these fake treasure hunts in the Canyonlands of Utah. And everything kind of goes sideways and they realize that there might actually be real treasure out there. So they have to decide if they trust each other enough to go after it. Interesting. I love how you talk about her reluctance, Lily's reluctance to lead groups with like Prada shoe wearing, (laughs) you know, big city folks who try to come out to the wilderness to relax or whatever it is they're doing. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, Lily at her heart is just, she wants to own a ranch and have horses and have people come and stay at the ranch. And her father was never there. He was this sort of really big treasure hunter who loved going out into the desert and trying to find relics. And it was what he was famous for, but she always resented it. So it's sort of a bummer for her that now she has to make her living using his maps. But yeah, I mean, it's a romance. So everything is, it's happily ever after. So it's a fun one. It's a really fun one. Yeah. Can we go back a little bit and hear about how you got your start writing and how you became this power duo, how you linked up with Christina, like the whole story? Yes. So I've written my whole life just for fun. I think I was writing fan fiction before I knew that it was fan fiction. I would like watch days of our lives and then like write stories about the characters that like they weren't giving us on screen. And I did that for Buffy and Alias. And eventually I was writing in uh, the Twilight fandom just for fun. And Christina had this really popular story there. She had millions of readers. And so I invited her out in the summer of 2009 to San Diego Comic-Con where I was putting on a panel on fan art and fan works. And we met in person and we were like, let's write a story. And we wrote a little one shot fan fiction together. It was really fun. And then we just thought like, let's write a book together. Like that's the obvious next step. We were so naive. Like we had no idea what it took to write a book, but we're like, let's do it. And yeah. And now 28 books later, here we are. (laughs) 28 books. Okay. So what is the, what process? I'm assuming it's changed over time as technology has shifted. How did you start out collaborating and how do you do it now? Or has it not changed? I mean, it's changed somewhat. We, you know, we initially were using like Google Docs. And the thing with Google Docs is when we were first using it, there wasn't a very good collaboration feature. So there was no way to track changes. 
But yeah, we just, we, we always outline in person. We usually alternate chapters, but it sort of depends too on how much else we have going on. Like if we have a lot of stuff that we're juggling, one of us will take over drafting and the other one jumps in and edits. And we draft usually alternating chapters and we create a document as we go. And we try not to edit it too much at first because we know the first draft is just going to be messy. And once we have a draft, we dive in and we really go through it a lot so that each one of us has touched literally every sentence. Um, We don't want it to feel like it's been written by two people. We want it to feel really cohesive. So I think the magic for us comes in revisions. So, And how do you pick what your next project will be or all these projects to date? How did you decide or were you just on the same page about topics and everything? I mean, I think she and I are really... I'm really lucky that I met her. She's sort of the perfect partner for me. We have, I mean, our our working relationship came first, but we're very, very close now. She is my best friend. She's almost like my sister or spouse. I don't know. It's like a combination of the two. And so I think we're really lucky to be on the same page a lot. And the conversations that we have about the ideas are very fun. It's just like shooting things, you know, throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks and just like, building the stories from there. So we usually have a handful of ideas that we've been like tinkering with in our minds for like a year or two before we really dig and write it. When we were publishing, so 2013, we had six books out and then we had, I think like four, four, three. And so initially it was just so many books that it was almost like we were starting to scrape the bowl, like trying to get ideas. We've slowed down now, which has been nice in terms of our like mental health, but also it means now we have so many ideas and we want to get to them really fast. So it's kind of like, you know, you either are like exhausted mentally or you feel like you want to move faster. That's sort of where we're at right now. What does the mental health look exhaustion and all of that look like when you're trying to launch all these books? Because part of launching books are things like this and having to be on and having to meet people and talk about the book. And if you're so busy writing all the books, how do you keep that together and have kids? And like, what does that look like? What is what is a, a bad day look like and a good day look like? I mean, we only have mostly good days now because we really have slowed down to about one book a year. And that has been a huge change. When we first, in 2013, I had a three and a five-year-old. I was working full-time as a scientist and we had six books out and it just felt like like nothing was getting a hundred percent, you know? And so a bad day would be the day where we beat ourselves up, you know? And it's usually the mom side where we're like, ugh, you know, like I'm not giving my kids what they need. I'm not doing what my family needs, whatever. And so that's usually what a bad day looks like for me. It's just a lot of guilt. How did you even end up with six books coming out in a single year? That's like unheard of. I think what happened was, so because, okay, so... This is a little like, I'll try and do the Cliff's Note version of this, but so Fifty Shades came out in 2012, and that was a story that had been in the Twilight fandom. So Erica had like reworked that and published it as Fifty Shades of Grey. It was initially a story called Master of the Universe. And what happened after that published was every publisher wanted their own Fifty Shades of Grey. And so they started coming to fandom writers and being like, what stories do you have that we can very quickly rework and publish? And we were working on other things at the time. Christina had taken her fic called The Office and kind of just like shelved it. It was the first thing she ever wrote. And she was like, ugh, you know. But we found out that somebody was, that a couple people actually were trying to sell that fan fiction to a publisher as their own because Christina had written it under a pen name. Oh my gosh. 
So we, with our agent, were like, let's just rework it and post it online. But when we reworked it, we rewrote it almost entirely. It's like very little is similar to the fix. So our agent sent it out to a few editors and it sold in like 12 hours. And our other book had been on submission for like six months. So we were like, oh, okay, I guess we're going to do this. So that was Beautiful Bastard. And then the thing was... the. In 2012, the market was moving so fast in romance. There were just so many people self-publishing. There were so many books coming out. And we just wanted to like dive in and like build a backlist and build a following. And it was so much fun. We like didn't feel tired then. It was like writing was just like this creative just excitement. So I think that both the momentum of the genre, the pressure we had to kind of get this story out and then also the excitement of it just meant that we were able to write really fast. I know that was a really long answer. I'm sorry, but the I think point that is to hear from you. I would be happy <laughs> if you talked the whole time. Go ahead. <laughs> I just think that time was really exciting for romance and there was so much going on. Like now we have stories that came from fandom, like Allie Hazelwood's book, The Love Hypothesis had been a Raylo fic. There are other stories that had been fic, but it was sort of like not talked about back then, you know, it was this sort of weird thing that like people weren't sure they were comfortable with. And now it's just so, it's been so interesting to see the genre evolve in that way. Wow. So how, tell me about the romance part. How are, are you a romantic at heart? Like, where is this coming from for you? I know the market was sort of requesting it, but you know, you picked that ball up and ran with it and here you still are, you know, going. So So what, what fuels that for you? So Christina and I have always been romance readers, like in our own spaces. Obviously, we didn't meet until we were adults, but she would read. Her mom had this garage full of Harlequins, and Christina, and she wasn't supposed to read them, but she would, like, Mm -hmm. sneak out and, like, read these books. And I had very intellectual parents. They, I grew up in Berkeley, and they were UC Berkeley alums, and they were very much like, you will read literature, you will read literary fiction, like, these are things. And I would, like, take my allowance and go to the used bookstore and buy Danielle Steele. (laughs) And so... I just wanted to read what I wanted to read. And I think there's so much value in that now. I, I have so much to say about like the way romance is treated in fiction in general. But all I can say is that I just have always gravitated to love stories. And whether it's in film, whether it's in books, whether it's, you know, watching people, you know, and being like, oh, they're so cute together. What if they're in love? You know, I mean, there's just this, I think that if you're a romantic at heart, it's sort of just the way that you see the world. And these are the stories that we wanted to tell. Like, we just really love writing love stories. It's so fun. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What did you mean that you could talk a long time about the way romance is treated? You have to go back to that. You can't just throw that out there. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, pretty much every romance out there, when they when they tell somebody what they write, there's always that internal like bracing where you're not sure how somebody's going to react. And, and there's a lot of little like aggressive things people can say that they don't necessarily mean to be insulting, but it's like, oh, like, you know, like with the Fabio covers or, oh, are you writing your fantasies? I mean, we've been asked things in interviews like, what do our husbands think of what we do? Did we ever let our fathers read our books? Which for me is just like a very patriarchal view of it. Like, why would it matter what if my dad reads my books, like he could read my book if he wants to, it's totally, up, you know, that kind of thing. And also like my husband is just proud of me. I wouldn't marry a man that had like opinions about what I was writing, but you know, to all the way to meeting somebody at a, at a soccer game, that's like, Oh, you write romance. Oh my gosh. I just love trashy books. It's that kind of stuff. And I think people, you know, they think that it's, they have this image of what romance is when in fact, it's just, it's an incredibly empowering genre of fiction to read and it's written primarily by women, primarily for women. And I think it's just, it's a really progressive space to live in. So I think one thing people don't realize is that publishing exists because of romance. It's like the highest selling genre in all of fiction. And I think because it publishes so quickly, like what I was saying about 2013 and having so many books out that year, that's not uncommon. I mean, romance authors are very prolific. And I think because of that, and because we care about having these really important cultural conversations, we're able to move the conversation forward in a way that a lot of other genres maybe aren't. Do you feel like there's a blurry line, because I kind of do, between what's a regular novel, women's fiction, even literary fiction that has a romance, has a love story. Like what, what, what is the defining separating line between a romance novel and a love story that's not a romance novel? So the only, the only contract that we as romance authors make with our reader is that there's a happily ever after. So if there's no happily ever after, it's not a romance. There can be a, a story that is a sci-fi fantasy novel that has a romance in it. But if the romance arc is not the primary story, if it's not the A story, then it's not considered a romance. So there are love stories everywhere. We have so many love stories in all of our favorites. I mean, Game of Thrones even has a bunch of love stories. They're very tragic, but they have them. There's a lot of really popular fantasy novels that have a love story, but that tends to not be the primary story arc. So romance promises that the Romance is the primary arc and there's a happily ever after. Women's fiction does not promise a happily ever after. and But women's fiction does center the female as the primary arc. So her story is considered like that is the main story. There might also be a love story. Mm. But. Interesting. Yeah, didn't do that. <laughs> Learn something new every day. Um, so when you read, do you still gravitate to reading romance yourself? Or what, what, what are the, some of the types of books that you like to read or books you've read lately that you've loved or your habits in general? Yeah, I tend to read nonfiction for fun. I think I am continually amazed, and as is the cliche that like truth is stranger than fiction. This, uh, there's some stuff in nonfiction that you just... 
you cannot believe that it exists. And narrative nonfiction for me is really a joy. I'd say my favorite nonfiction authors, Mary Roach, if people haven't read Mary Roach, she is a delight. But I do read a ton of romance. I mean, I, I think my relationship has changed with it somewhat since we first published because we get sent a lot of books now to read, as I'm sure you do. I'm sure Zivi, you get books every <laughs> single day. Um, which is wonderful. Like it is one of those embarrassment of riches things, but it does change your relationship to it when you read it for work. So yeah, I do. I read romance and I have romance authors like Sarah McLean and Allie Hazelwood and Sally Thorne and Rebecca Weatherspoon and Sonali Dev. There are certain authors that I read, like I just get so excited to have them in my hands. That's excellent. Do you feel like your life so far has had a happy ending? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm very lucky. I have a very good marriage. I married my, the man I married is, he was my crush in graduate school. I saw him like my first week in grad school and I called him my boyfriend for a year before I was able to like work up the nerve to talk to him. I would just be like, hey, there's my boyfriend. And then (laughs) we played softball together and we ended up just really hitting it off. So yeah, I'm super lucky. And And Christina married her high school sweetheart. They've been together since she was 15. Wow. Yes. Impressive. So have you and Christina ever had, like, has there ever been a thought of each of you going off on your own or you're just like, this is the secret sauce. We're going to keep doing this. I mean, I think, you know, if there was something that one of us wanted to write that the other wasn't interested in, we would be our biggest cheerleader for each other. She's always wanted to write a thriller. I'm like, go write your thriller. Like that would be amazing. I love the idea of writing fantasy and I'm sure she would be super excited for me. The thing is that we just, we really love doing this together. It's, it's still even like what almost 13 years later doesn't feel real that we get to do this for a living now. So I don't know that there's any joy for me to be found in like a different situation. I mean, there's joy to be found, but there's no more joy to be found. I should say. It's interesting to me too, that you are a neuroscientist and yet focus your career on love, which is a neuroscientific phenomenon, but one that perhaps can't be explained. Or maybe you have some insider science knowledge that makes it less of a of an unknown mystery and more of some sort of a fact-based something that maybe the layperson doesn't know. Can you talk about that? I mean, I, I think, you know, objectively, there are a lot of different arms of research that are involved in looking at like love responses, attraction responses, emotional responses that like create, you know, that early infatuation stage and how that morphs over time and what those, what your systems are doing to express that kind of feeling. So I think that area is really interesting, but I sort of always like the, I, I, I was not a person that was studying emotion for research that I think would have not been fun for me. I don't know why. Maybe it would have taken a little bit of the mystery out. My research was always in movement disorders and cognitive disorders like Alzheimer's disease and neurodegeneration. So I I love the idea of studying emotion, but I think I want to study it more from like, you know, the fangirl side where I'm just like gazing fondly at people falling in love. (laughs) Oh my God. So what, what are some of your favorite love story movies? Well, I love I mean, Princess Bride is one of my favorite movies of all time. I just, I find it so funny and romantic and just, I don't know, that was, it was so, I can watch that every day. One movie I think was great is The Proposal. And the thing I found really interesting about that is when Christina and I were first getting ready to adapt our book Roomies for the screen, 
we were reading a bunch of different romance, like rom-com scripts. And I felt like the, the screenplay for the proposal wasn't that amazing, but there was something about the characters when they came together and like did the lines for each other. And they like, you know, were there acting it out that just completely transformed it for me. And so I think that was such a revelation is just that like the words on the page and how, and like how, what a skill acting is that it isn't just like reading lines, you know? And so I love always be my maybe. I think that's adorable. Let's see. Yeah. I would say those are probably my favorites. So I was struck on your Instagram account, how you, you were saying that you both try to engage in every, in everything that's going on. How, how, just how? Well, I'm not on Twitter anymore. I find Twitter to not be a like useful space for me. It just ends up getting me riled up. Like I get really irritated either with people like, I, I don't know, Twitter is just a mess for me, but Christine is very good. She'll post our stuff over there. And I, I mean, we're just, we're both on Instagram. I think that's a place we really enjoy being because it's just like every, I think every author has a medium where they're most comfortable. And so that works for us, but it's not a ton. And on, honestly, like every author's on there who has an, an Instagram account is doing it we're actually doing half the work because there's two of us. So it's nice, yeah. you know. Interesting. Yeah, we get to I share. Love it. I happen to love Instagram. I'm yeah. like, this is so bad, but I do. I set like a little timer that's more than an hour a day, but then I'm yeah. like, okay, I hit an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love it. I, you know, I know a lot of people are getting sucked into TikTok and I get it. It's, that's not my place. Like, it feels, I love like when people send us stuff and all that, but like, we're not going to be on TikTok. Nobody needs to see Christina Lauren on TikTok. <laughs> Don't look at my TikTok. I think I have to delete it. I'm so embarrassed by everything. I've tried and tried, but I can't. Um, yeah. We actually, I do co-host a podcast called Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. It's uh-huh. three anonymously sourced questions, like relationship and sex questions, because she's a sex expert. Oh, that's I, awesome. I'm a person asking her the questions that come in through our website. But yeah, I don't even know why I'm, I'm talking about that. But <laughs> <laughs> TikTok. I'm going to go see now because you're Oh, yeah, TikTok. And it did kind of go viral for a little bit on TikTok because my social media manager put like these huge letters on top of my head like, I can't even say it. I shouldn't even say it on this, but like, why can't I, da, 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 you know, and like my husband cheated on me and I'm, and people were like talking to my husband, like, I can't believe you would do that. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, this is not me. Like, you can't do that. Anyway, it was mortifying, but that was the only success and it was not even mine. And it was very reluctant. So. Oh my gosh. That's actually so funny. <laughs> it's that, you could check it out. I can't remember what it's called at with Zibby and Tracy or something. If you want to see how I mortified myself. In fact, even my son, who's now 15, his friend from boarding school was like, you showed up on my For You page on TikTok. And I was like, oh my gosh. Terrible. (laughs) So terrible. I don't even know what to do with myself. (laughs) But yeah. I love this. Such is life. So what is your next, what are your next few projects that are coming up? Okay. So Something Wilder just came out in May. And then for anyone who read The Soulmate Equation last year, there was a best friend character named Fizzy. And she, we, we actually had never planned to write her own book, but when we were doing the book tour for that last year, every single event, like without fail, somebody would say, is Fizzy going to get her own book? And we were like, maybe. And then in the fall, we had this idea, which is this little like brain bubble. And we got so excited to write it. So we just finished Fizzy's book. So that will be coming out next year. I don't have a release date for it yet. And we're writing, we're hoping to write two more this year. So we just started another one that we're hoping to finish by September. And then we have a book that we're like insanely excited about. It's got Unhoneymooners vibes, but it's like 
totally different. And we're writing that one at the end of the year and I can't wait. So, so busy. When you were getting your start writing, I know you said you mentioned Danielle Steele, but did you have a model for success in terms of being an author and having the career of an offer of an author? Because it's not just the books. It's that you have to manage so much else when you are a writer, full-time author. Did you have a model for that? And how did you learn to do it well? What, like, what, what, what surprised you about it? What was really hard for you to learn? And yeah, I mean, I think because I had, I had a, a very successful science career before I published and I, we only left once we had a number of books out and we could like support ourselves with that. And I knew going in that supporting yourself as a writer is very hard to do. It should not be the plan A because making a living as a writer is just, it's hard to make ends meet. Most writers have day jobs. And so I, I never had a mental model for like, okay, this is what it looks like to be a full-time author because that just was never an expectation I had. And even once we started publishing, I didn't plan to quit my job. It was almost like that decision was forced upon me, which it's now looking back, I'm so grateful. (laughs) But at the time it was very stressful because I didn't want to leave science. So I didn't have a model in terms of like how to be a career author, but I did have a model in terms of the kinds of books I wanted to write and the way I wanted to make readers feel. And the, the moment that I read and I had, I always loved to write, but when I sort of it crystallized for me that I wanted to write romance, it was when I read Anna and the French Kiss by Stephanie Perkins. Even though that's a YA novel and a lot of our stuff is much steamier than that, it was so, it was just the way it made me feel like that sort of the swoon, the way your like heart sort of swoops and like the excitement and you don't want to stop. I was like, this is, this is what I want to do. And I think what was what I found to be hard about about writing was the the industry is really hard to navigate, and there's a lot of like inside tricks that you don't know if you're coming from the outside. I don't know how anyone did it before the internet. I really don't. Before there were websites that could tell us like how to write a query letter and how to find an agent, and before there were podcasts talking about like how authors you know, started, how they got started, how they pushed through hard times. What do they do when they get stuck? Um, how do they find beta readers? I mean, there's just, there's so many things that make the, the journey really challenging, but it's so worth it too. So. And when you're not busy writing and marketing your books and doing all the stuff, what's, what are some of the things you love to do on the side? I love to cook. I really love to cook. I'm trying to like to garden. I want to be better at it because I like being outside in my garden, but it's like, ugly if I don't do anything with it. My sister and Christina are both amazing gardeners. So I'm trying to learn from them. And I love to travel. I mean, I that was one of the things that I think was, this is a very privileged way to frame the pandemic, but it was hard not being able to travel. And I think I just like being with my, my family. My daughter is a very avid equestrian. So we just, Ooh. we got her a project horse last year, which sounds very fancy. This horse needs a lot of work, but She's very sweet. So I love going down to the barn and watching my daughter ride her. Yeah, it's really fun. Awesome. Thank you so much to the Gloss for having us on this vacation. My favorite travel experience lately without any uh, (laughs) having to go anywhere. Although I actually am traveling. So thank you to everybody and Erin Woodward and everyone for having us. Yes. Thank you so much for hosting. And thanks for moderating. Zivi, this was so fun. It was so nice to see you face to face. Finally, I've been following you for so long. Oh, yay. (laughs) I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 